It was the year of nerfs. The year of carriers. The year we took back our control. We had a Galnet rebirth. The year of space madness. The year of painite. And the year of salt. It was a new age. It was the end of mining. It was the year everything changed. The year is 3306. The place. Lave Radio. Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 322 of Lave Radio, the show that likes to talk about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Commander Phoenix Defire, otherwise known as Colin Ford, Chief Archivist of Lave Station. And joining me in the Sidewinder bar for this episode, we have um, Commander Shan. Hello. Hello. Commander Souverine. What up? We also have uh, Commander Edelweiss. My beer's finished already. I need more. And also, we'd like to welcome back to the show, after a very, very long absence, uh, our chief friend bringer, Commander Crash. Greetings. Greetings. <laughs> oh, so long since I last heard that. Um, right. If you wish, you can join us. No, you can't. Um, this is a pre-recorded episode um, because basically it's Christmas, but some important things have happened so much that we thought we'd throw together a um, a Lee Radio special just for you. So, <clears throat> as it's only been a couple of days since we caught up with the crew, there's only one person to really ask how they've been, and that's Commander Crash. It's been what a year? Oh. You have to too long oh my goodness yeah so i i had some unfortunate circumstances in my life it kind of just like took me out of the picture for a long time uh so i wasn't able to stream or play or anything like that it, it was you know kind of frustrating because i felt like i was letting the side down but i, I you know i had lots of support from the community you know saying like, oh, when, when when will you be back you know we miss you and all that sort of stuff so i did manage to get back into streaming uh about a year ago now so i've, I've been trying to get back in get everything back together uh build up the community and i've got all the regulars there uh, and it's you know it's just it's just lovely to get reconnect with people and uh you know, just kind of, you know, get get back in touch with everyone and 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 build up that community again. It's been great fun. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm glad that you've you've you're on board for this one because um yeah, it's it's nice to have a lot of old heads or who know what we've been through with this before. So, um, for those of you who are have had their head stuck in the clouds for the last uh, week or so, last Thursday, uh, Frontier had their Christmas stream, which lasted four hours, and there was a lot of information dropped about Odyssey. So one of the things that we're going to discuss this week is basically this big info dump came our way. Um, so first of all, before um, we, we go into a deep dive, um, I'll just quickly go around the team, see what they thought of the Christmas stream. Did they enjoy it? Did they actually Were they able to actually watch it? Uh, we'll start with Ben. Uh, I had it on in the background, and I managed to watch most of it, apart from the actual meet, at which point I was doing a meeting. 
So I was actually having to participate in a meeting during the meet of the stream, which such such is life, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is. Uh, I was able to watch it on catch up, as it were. So not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, Shan, what was your impressions then? I managed to catch pretty much all of it. Um, I sort of had it on the background while I was uh, I was working. I'm mainly on it for the Twitch drops, and and then I discovered I already had purple lasers and purple engine <laughs> things anyway. Um, in terms of what it was like, it was my first time I'd actually managed to catch the new CN team together, and uh, the dynamic was quite interesting. It was quite different to the old times, if you like, when the CN team was together, even sort of under Will's regime. It had a different flavor to it. Um, but uh, I enjoyed it. I especially enjoyed um, Stephen's driving ability. <laughs> I see. Right. Um, I think I'll move on from that just for the moment. Uh, Souverine, what was your uh, impression of the uh, of the stream? I only caught the interview with Gareth Hughes, um, which was pretty remarkable, really. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't catch the rest of it. But I've, I've seen a few of the highlights um, and the little bits that I've seen. It, it, they're so irreverent. They're so funny. They're, they're brilliant. I, I think it's the best CM team the game's ever had. I think they're absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Um, Crash, what was your impressions? Oh, I, I was in the same boat as most people. I think I, I had it on in the background. I was trying to work in between. I had the school run immediately, just as they dropped the big info dump of like the, the best best bits of it. But I did catch up and watch it all later, though. And uh, I must admit, like the squeeze building, it, it was. I, I was on the fence. I was kind of like, you know, what's it going to be like? Your frontier have never put together an, uh, an FPS before. You know, I, I wasn't sure how they were going to handle a lot of things, but. Seeing that, like like I said, the interview from Gareth there and, and the information they've dropped about it not being entirely combat focused, mm-hmm. I, I'm actually I'm actually getting the hype is building. I'm trying to keep it in check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and, and that wasn't the only thing that came our way actually before the um, before the stream actually started. There was a Paul Crowther, one of the community managers. Um, <laughs> put on a, a whole load of answers that had been uh, and, uh, to questions which had been put in the forums for the last couple of uh, couple of days. Uh, was there anything in that list that made uh, that made your eyes pop out? No. Well, how about you, Colin? How about well, how, I was going to say, Colin, you ask everyone else first. How about asking yourself first? Well, okay. My my first takeaway was the answer to question eighteen, which. Uh, as far as um, Crash is concerned, almost made me squee. Um, now, the question in this question, uh, in this case, was: Will we be able to fly other commanders' ships in Odyssey? Asking whether it's is by multi-crew or just stealing. Uh, the answer was no. Only the commander own, owns the ship can fly their ship. And then the important thing happened. However, players will be able to deploy in that commander's SRV or SLF. With physical yeah, crew. I saw that. And as soon as I saw that, I went, hang on, they're including the SRV in multi-crew. That is a feature that they've been asking for since multi-crew went in. And I just went, yes, that'll do me. Yeah, Don't care about the rest of it now. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was interesting on a, on a number of um, parts because 
if we're saying physical multi-crew in SRV is a thing, yeah. which is what was confirmed, SRVs currently only have one seat. Yes. So does that therefore imply another SRV, which just has two or more seats? Why? Because you've got one seat. How can you have physical multi-crew? Or are you implying one person can take the SRV out? Well, you can have more than one SRV in a bay. You have two more than one SRV bay. Uh, me, that's not multi-crew. That's that's people in that's people in a wing. One of which is an SRV. I don't know. Yeah, but oh, for goodness' sake! It could be one of you, it could be you, one of you in your ship, one of you in your yes. SLF, and one of you in yes. your SRV. Yes, or any combination thereof. Yes. Yeah, I don't call it. I don't call it multi-crew. What the other question I have though regarding that is, let's say for example, it is two people to an SRV, so I can go. Oh, hi, Ben. Where the heck are you getting two people to a, from an SRV from? There has been images produced, which I'm sure we've gone into, which shows different designs of SRVs. <coughs> but anyway, anyway, um, before what? It, 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 it is egregious that the um, the SRVs, the, the different SRV, like not egregious, that, that's, that's the wrong word. It is It is notable <laughs> that we haven't seen more SRV variants, despite all the other information that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, so what that said, I'm looking forward to the time when I can say, oh, hi, Ben, can you go and explore that ruin out here? And I'll go around the back and pick you up. And so Ben hops out and goes, yes, Shan, sure, I'll do some exploring. And so I then get in the SRV and scoot back to the ship and leaving him like the Martian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, from what I understand, that is probably something you can do. And um, that <laughs> that could be an issue when they mean physical. When they mean physical multi-crew, I'm assuming that basically all your characters have kind of met up somewhere. You don't have the hollow me beam in thing. This is this is where you your characters have all met at say Lave Station, formed up a crew in in the social area, and then gone off and done done things on the one ship. Which could mean that yes, poor Ben. Would be um, left for dead on on uh, another planet, and he'll have to call in a new rescue service, which I want to call Intergalactic Rescue. <laughs> well, not the Ben Rats. No, no, Intergalactic Rescue with the Chunder Birds, I think, because basically they're flying will make you feel sick. The <laughs> answer is interesting, though. You say about multi crew mm. not actually being multiple people in a SRV, because I I certainly. Ha- was under the impression that it was because if you multi crew in a ship, yes. you actually are still in the ship. Even if you're in an SRV, it's your hollow me in the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm, I was trying to explain to you that um, it won't be the hollow me anymore. It's supposed to be yourself. So what's the stop? You just sodding off then and nothing. leaving the SRV behind. Nothing. I think that this is one of these occasions where you will have the new. Uh, play ability to maroon people you don't like on planets. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll have to circ- circumnavigate the planet to the nearest outpost on foot or call in help. <laughs> I thought that would really, really appre- would appeal to you, Shan. It does. That's the first thing I've thought of. Um, but So if you then self-destruct your SRV with you in it, do you appear back on the ship? Well, that's... That's for them to, to decide. Probably you or, or, or do you become Etienne Dawn's best friend in a escape pod? 
<laughs> as a burger. Well, actually, they asked something like that at another point to which they said they're not willing to talk about it just yet. What was that? Sorry. They, uh, I'm sure that somebody asked that question either as part of this or uh, during the um, uh, during uh, the stream, and they they said they're not willing to talk about what the death mechanics are just yet. Oh, interesting. With, yeah, whether you're on foot or whether or not you're in you know in a multi crew yeah. or anything like that. They yeah. said they weren't going to talk about it just yet. Interesting. I hope you respawn back in your SRV because that'd be really funny, wouldn't it? Leave someone stranded in the SRV and you respawn in the SRV. I, I mean, we'll see what they say. I wouldn't be surprised if we respawn back on our ships on the station or something. Mm. Yeah, that would be um, my guess. I think go back to the ship. That would be an interesting discussion, wouldn't it? If you arrive back on your ship after being stranded with part the other person. Or even better, they've probably got something there that you can flag down a taxi or call in the Apex taxi or something like that. Oh, I mean, we've got the crotch cam where we can always go off and phone a friend, so you might be able to just call your ship. The Woodshead Taxi Company rescue you in the middle of nowhere? Or would you need to be near a base to do that? I have no idea. I'm just or would they use hand wavium like they do for when your ship gets blown up and you appear thousands of light years back? <laughs> but, but we can still phone, phone our ships as well. So even mm. if we are on the in the middle of nowhere, I can probably dial up my ship and it will come and get me. Well, that'll be an interesting thing. Yeah. So, like, are you implying that, like the cars in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, if you can get it to work, where you can just summon your car or like a rover taxi and it will just appear? Beep beep. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised by that at all, to be honest. Um, I mean, there's a certain level of practicality we have to accept, basically. And that includes the fact that Shan will be a dick. What? (laughs) Ben, it's for science. It's for no other reason than for science. (laughs) Okay, there's no malice in that. That that was my... I can't believe we got already onto trolling and new ways to grief commanders already, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, Crash... What was your impressions of the questions? Was there any highlights there for you? Um, hard to say, really. I think a lot of it is it was to be expected. I mean, uh, they, they mentioned about um, you know, people talking about the anti-aliasing uh, being an issue long since the start. I, I, I think they're absolutely right to say what they're saying. They're not going to change the engine at this phase. It's it, it's you know it's it's long since been uh, embedded into the technology it's not something you can just suddenly decide to up and change so uh, yeah I, I can understand that but uh, yeah a lot a lot of the other bits and pieces on there i think it's all to be expected uh, you know and and what we're saying there about the the death mechanics and things like that it, it's one of those difficult balance things you have to do where it's gameplay versus realism if it was if if they could make it 100% perfectly real it would be a horrible horrible universe to exist within and it just wouldn't be very much fun so they have to find that that you know that there's compromises there to make that work i think yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. um okay shan what was, was there anything any one of those questions that you thought oh hang on that piques my interest well there was a clarification i'm not sure we can touch on it from obsidian ant where he got the clarification that going prone and leaning out from cover won't be in-game. So what I would call the uh, some of the basic FPS things for modern FPS games aren't in it. Now, I can kind of get where Frontier is coming from in that decision because going prone would lend itself 
to like hiding on a roof of a base and then just headshotting people as they came out of the airlock. Um, and the same with leaning out from cover, but that's all part of the skill and the mechanics of an FPS now. So I'm, I'm just, I'm in two minds about that. I can see how it could be excellent for briefing players and people, but then again, are you not missing a combat mechanic from not having it? Well, they, I mean, they could use the, of course, they could use the excuse that, you know, the space suits that you're using don't have that kind of flexibility. But <laughs> I'm not going to make excuses for them for one moment. Yeah, um, there's always excuses where you can say you can't lie down. Yeah. Because you'll damage your instruments or something deaf like that. Yeah. Plenty of very good first person shooter games don't have leaning and going prone. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking the same. I mean, like you know, Doom Eternal doesn't really have that. I mean, it's more of a fast-paced thing. But uh, you know, in comparatively, games that do have like uh, Rainbow Six, for example, it uses it for more tactical advantage. But it, it's a much more slow and methodical sort of gameplay but, style to them. Yeah, yeah. But the way they, the, I'm sure we'll come on to this. But the way they portrayed combat in Odyssey was the slower, more methodical one. In that, if you just go running in as if it's Unreal Tournament, you'll soon become a cropper. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, so they seem to be pitching at one level, and I don't know. I guess we'll just have to play it and see what happens. But the friends, that was something I thought of. The friends of mine who have who have played quite a lot of first-person shooter games that I discussed uh, <coughs> um, actually, Karash and Ben, you've met, you've actually met them. Um, they um, uh, they said that the the games that they looked most similar to were Planet Side Two and Battlefield 1942. Um, mm. which are apparently all about combined arms and mm. um, different vehicles supporting each other and a bit of a, a sort of rock, paper, scissors approach to what you what you happen to be fighting in. Um, I'd be interested to know whether those games have things like going prone and leaning out of cover and that, and that kind of thing. I'd, well, I'd also be, able to be interested to know whether they were actually, whether when they were ideating Odyssey and what they wanted for their first-person game, whether Frontier actually looked at those titles and said, yeah, that's that's what we're going to look to emulate. I think Battlefield 1942 did, although it's a very old game and I may well have remembered wrongly, but I certainly remember going prone and headshotting Minishan in it several times. <laughs> <laughs> I think it definitely had going prone. I can't remember whether it did have leaning in that particular one but uh yeah I, I think it depends on on how the gameplay feels like you said it's one of those things you have to kind of play it experience it see how it feels to see whether it's it's necessary to have those things and i think it's necessarily going to be a deal breaker if you cannot do those particular actions absolutely that absolutely yeah completely agree some things um there's the uh there's one of i, I remember um the halo games some of them don't have sprint and some of them have sprint as like a power up that you can that you can use. And when I first played them, I was like, "What the hell? This game doesn't have sprint." And then my mate was like, "Actually, the reason they don't have sprint is because it's a it's a huge deal. And actually, the, the Halo is all about is all about pace and um, and maneuvering around each other. And um, and actually, the ability to sprint just adds a layer, a, a layer of complexity that that most play, like the consensus of players is that it doesn't need. So I, and actually. That feels like something that is that is really f- fundamental to games now. The the ability to sprint. So so actually, even even things that we take for granted as being quite quite necessary and basic, it, it is perfectly possible for there to be games that are quite of of quite wide appeal that don't happen to have those features and they still work completely fine. 
Yeah, as I said, like I see reasons for not having them because you know it's very easy to get into various nooks and crannies and bases in the SLV, and therefore using the Tigger Pack or whatever it is Ben calls it, the, the Jet Pack, you could quite easily get yourself into an unkillable position with having eyes on the front door, and that yeah, may well yeah. that may well be the issue because clipping and collision detection and stuff like that. If you got into prone position like it's quite easy to see yourself getting stuck yeah absolutely i think i think probably out of the um moving on slightly i think out of all the the information drops that were in that uh interview which is pretty amazing really um the thing probably the thing that got me the most excited was um well two things really one was when they talk when frontier have talked in the past about like the triangle of combat and the fact that they wanted srvs and ships to be meaningful i, I sort of i wondered whether i wonder how much marketing spin that was and how much um uh, and and how versus how much it would actually make itself felt and necessary in game, and I was really heartened by how when they talked about what the role of what a role in your ship might be or what your role in the SRV might be, and and the, and the 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 degree of thought that they'd put into how to make those balanced, I thought displayed that they actually really had thought about that and really taken it seriously. Like when they when they talked about the SRV being a formidable opponent if you're just one dude with a gun, but if there are six of you, then you can you can take apart an SRV in short order. Think things like that sounds like they've they've carefully thought about this rather than just saying, yeah, sure, you can you can fight with ships against people if you want to. Like it it just seemed like it was quite well thought through really. Okay, Ben, your thoughts on the questions. My thoughts on the questions is that my son's just phoning me. <laughs> oh um, there was one that that grabbed me actually. There was the uh, no, not the ship things. Da, 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 da. Uh, oh yeah, that was it. The overhangs. I thought you know it was a shame about the overhangs, though maybe not necessarily a surprise. Yeah, uh, yes, it's a shame but, about the overhangs. Yeah. So yeah. there'll be no overhangs and no caves in this. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's worth that's... noting that it's worth noting that both No Man's Sky and Star Citizen uh, have caves as like an overwritten thing, rather than the height maps that can like both of those games. Their mm. their planets are simple height maps, and both of those games have caves, but they're both overwrites to the planet to the planetary generation system. Like No Man's Sky's, you, you can tell if when you visit those planets, you can tell that the caves have been have been applied after the after the height map is generated. Um, and in and in Star Citizen, the caves are actually POIs that are placed there rather than being organically generated. So I don't think it's that unusual that um, that the height map can't generate caves, and it doesn't mean that Frontier can't introduce them in the future if they do them in that way. Well, that's right because one of the reasons there are no caves currently, and I would want to find believable, there's no there's no atmosphere, and there's no atmosphere, there's no erosion. Mm to make the caves and the overhangs and whatnot. But we're dealing now with planets with admittedly thin atmosphere, but still an atmosphere. So you would you would then expect to see erosion effects, including overhangs. I mean, caves tend to come with water or geological movement, I suppose. But certainly overhangs, that could happen from the movement of the wind. And if they have atmospheres, I would expect to see that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's not happening, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know they said it's not happening, but I do think it's a shame because they've got such lovely cave generation tech in Planet Zoo and Planet Coaster and things. Mm-hmm. So we know the tech is vaguely in the engine, yeah. and you know they I, they could potentially be injected dynamically and things like that. 
post-planetary generation, maybe I don't know, but mm. I mean, it, it, it'll be nice. Caves. Yeah, I think, mm. but I think that, that's more along the lines like the Star Citizen things, like you said. It, it is a POI, which is uh, you know pre hand hand baked geometry, and it's put into exactly. a specific location. Um, I think I think the biggest problem they got is not necessarily the the rendering of it. I mean, the, the engine is definitely capable of rendering things. Obviously, like you said, the the, the planet coaster, planet zoo terrain uh, is more of a kind of it's almost like a, like a, the, the the original like the meta balls kind of surfaces that, that that used to be in the old old engines and things like that. So they've definitely got the capability of rendering it. I think the issue they probably have is uh, procedurally generating them is massively cpu intensive i remember speaking to them before and they were saying that you know like adding uh, all of those nodes into the generation uh, algorithm it's, it's possible it can be done but it's so intensive to calculate it and get it to look correct that it uh, you know it massively overloads the generation engine and, and you'd have to have a monster pc to run it on and it kind of you know it moves the, the system requirements up too high really to make it viable wow hey, that's fascinating hey. Can, can, can you imagine the terror of players as the great curse of doom appears above their heads? Like, <laughs> like it's like the terrain. Terrain. <laughs> start editing the terrain. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, really yeah. interesting, though. Um, I, 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 that... <laughs> Sorry, Craig. I was going to say, I could nerd it for hours about that kind of thing. Sorry. Um, what, what I found interesting, and I must confess personally, it's a little disappointing, but we'll see, is that one of the things they've said is you will be able to adjust the look of your character, mm-hmm. but height and build will not be in those options. Yeah. So no legal fatties in this game. So it looks to me is that's just hollow me, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot... Yeah, because there, there are a lot of people I know um, that unless a game has a great character generator, they lose interest in it. Because if they can't get the character to look how they imagine the character to look, they just won't bother. They'll just say, well, you know, whatever. So I think it's a little bit disappointing they haven't gone high. However, as we mentioned last week, we don't really want lots of female dwarves running around that are impossible to shoot because the hitboxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No wonder the hobbits did so well. It's an old joke, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, ben? Just thinking about that, and this isn't making an excuse for Elite, but if I remember correctly, Star Citizen only allows you to do the face of the character as well, and you can't, you can be like a male body or a female body. And I think that's about it as well. Mm. And Star Wars well, Squadrons, for some random reason, oh yeah, doesn't give you that either. Again, but it's like Star Citizen is a placeholder. Thing. Star Citizen is a placeholder. This is a release no. game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to avoid any discussion of of uh, Star Citizen at the moment, mostly because <laughs> uh, I've just read a PC article about how much some games have cost and. Um, I was million? well. Put it, this, put it this way: um, Sotor, I thought, cost a lot more than what it actually cost to develop. And Are you interested for inflation? Oh yeah, and and Star Citizen is is still so far ahead of that. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. one thing to you know to kind of a feather in the cap for the guys at Frontier is is with much lower resources they've managed to achieve you know quite a bit more. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt, especially when um, <laughs> you can go into the massively forums. And I'm afraid to say that the ugly side of the tribalism has come out now that space legs has has seemed to appear. And um, I must admit, it does feel like they're a little bit 
threatened, if you see what I mean. Mm. <laughs> I mean, has but has Odyssey been done on the cheap? Because we 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 know the originally dangerous mm-hmm. was a remarkable use of resources, you know, for the Kickstarter and things like that. But yeah. Odyssey has had, we're told, over one hundred people, if not more, working on it for a substantial amount of time. So I wonder how much Odyssey has actually cost to develop. Elite has also raised 100 million in its lifetime. That much? Yeah, I, I can't remember. I, I can't cite, I, I can't give a, um, I can't attribute that. But um, I read the other day that uh, somebody had said that somebody had revealed that Elite Dangerous has uh, generated 100 million in revenue for. for oh, hang on. That was at the investor call. I'm yeah, sure that okay. was at the investor call. Okay, there you go. So you I, see, so, for me, it's. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, so I, I guess to, just to finish the point, like. The, the hundred people that we were told in 2018 were working on Frontier, uh, sorry, on Elite Dangerous, most of whom were working on Odyssey. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know what the, I don't know what, how that hundred million is split. And I don't know. Um, what we do know is that from 2018, most of the Elite Dangerous team, which we were told was 80 plus, were working on Odyssey, leaving a skeleton team on the live game. And we were told that the hard yards of coding for Odyssey didn't start until late 2019 and are presumably coming to an end now. Um, and we also know that Elite has generated that much money since 2014 or 2013, even. So it's an it's an open question as to how much of that has gone into Odyssey. But but it, but what we can what we do know is that it's a hell of a lot less than Star Citizen um, or actually a lot of a lot of AAA games. Yeah, because yeah. it's not about is is not for my mind. It's not about the totals. It's about the value you've gotten from that. Investment. Completely, completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this game has what they call a long tail. Um, based, basically, it's the okay. You get you get a, a spike of sales right to begin with, but it's as long as it keeps on going, then they end up with more and more sales and more and more people uh, coming along to it later. I mean, I've seen um, YouTubers come into this and going, "How did I miss this game? It's six years old yet it's still yeah. it's." Absolutely. It's good. I mean, the the Epic Store just opened the eyes to a whole load of new gamers who do have just realised what this game's about. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think we've gone a little bit off tangent as we always do. Um, ben, you wanted to bring up one final point of the questions. Okay. Yeah, I was wanting to just say: Are there any changes to the camera suite uh, for Unsweeter Off and Frontier? Despite keeping going on about how it's all the first person thing and things like that, they are going out. They are basically saying the original camera suite will be available in Odyssey, and they're in process of adding the van- vanity cam for the on foot camera. And they're excited to see what the community can come up with at launch. So all of our fellow content creators out there can. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, the exciting things we could come up with! And you know, I am so looking forward to seeing. Say Scorb's first 100% in Elite Dangerous rendered video, or you know, if he can do something like that all in engine, that'll be absolutely fantabulous. Mm. Souverine, you've got another point. The um, the settlement po- uh, power cores. The I've been really, really excited and impressed by how much by how fully fleshed out the settlements are. You know they've got they've got power reactors. They've got computer systems which in, which include the full staff list. Um, they've got panels that you can remove and 
scout about like Solid Snake. Um, the the settlements look brilliant. They look really, really good. I was expecting a load of I was, I was expecting a load of polygon assets that sit there that you can that have NPCs wandering dumbly around. But it looks like the NPCs have schedules and uh, and they're all named. Uh, and you can switch the power off to various things, and they've got anti-aircraft and anti-vehicle weapons. Um, and that the power core, that that system looks awesome. Here's a mission to, to take this power core to this settlement and restart it. Here's a mission to steal the power core from this one. You'll need a backup driver to drive you away. Here's a mission to uh, to steal X number of power cores, uh, and or, or just not even a mission. Here, just, just go and steal them because they're valuable. Like it, It's just, I kind of expected Odyssey to be... I've wanted Odyssey since the beginning, but primarily as a way to give context to the rest of the game. I primarily wanted to be able to walk around our starships and space stations so that those places started to feel like real places rather than just static assets. Odyssey is mm-hmm. so much more than that. Like all the things that we've seen so far indicate that actually this is it's much closer to an entirely new game, like an entirely new dimension. I didn't expect depth on this scale or mechanism or, or or game mechanics this fleshed out really i know i know it's you shouldn't read too much into into dev diaries that are effectively marketing videos but at the same time it it's hard not to be really really excited by the complexity of this stuff okay well um you've you've kind of jumped ahead of the <laughs> ahead of the curve there because we we were just going to just um <laughs> we we're going to discuss that at a later point, but we'll we'll just jump into the actual video itself. I mean, the Christmas stream had Twitch drops, um, it had other stuff, including uh, that you could win, including uh, a Galto uh, a stream deck and a whole lot of uh, Odyssey goodie bags. It's not Elite Dangerous goodie bags anymore; it's Odyssey goodie bags. But um, let's just talk about that uh, that video before we uh, we go back to some of the. Uh, the live stream. So um, obviously, there was discussions about the uh, <laughs> the sphere of combat that was that was in there. Um, now, is it is this sort of like? Did I get, did I get that well, right? Sphere, sphere of combat is the name of the video that yeah. Frontier released on Thursday, and then that then led into the Dev Diary. Yeah. So oh, hang sphere on. of no, combat I'm, I'm is the getting... entire video. Yeah, I'm getting mixed up with the sort of the triangle of uh, things that they were discussing, the combat triangle they were discussing later. But Did that um, sound like the Holy Trinity to you? It does, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, let's talk about this video. Um, (coughs) We'll start with Shan. Um, What's your general impression on it? Because it, yeah. I find it quite interesting, as you say, the the Trinity, if you like. Um, again, this is all prerequisite on how to play, but I, I, I don't know. It, it just it just smacked to me of the Call of Duty class system when you first born, you know, an assault, a medic, or a whatever it is. So each suit would seem to be a mirror of that class system you get in other FPS games. Um. But again, it depends on the balancing. It also was interesting in that when he talked about, and I think we'll come on to suits later, I think it was the Manticore. Uh, we talked last week, didn't we, about how um, we wondered whether it could be like Doom, where you can have like infinite pockets of weapons, or whether you will actually have one or two weapons you carry with you. And where they went into the detail about the suits, it seemed to be the latter 
where you would have either a prime, one primary weapon or two primary weapons. And I suspect that loadout limitation is how they will balance between the suits. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, they, they did go in. Let, let's let's just talk about the suits for the moment. There were they did mention four different types of uh, suits. There was the Remlock Maverick with an arc cutter, which is a cutting tool, and uh, that is the scavenger suit. You got the Manticore Dominator combat suit, which has got high armor and can equip up to two weapons. Uh, the Super Tech Artemis Explorer suit. That's the one that you'll have the. Di- and multi-tool and the flight suit is your basic fleet uh space suit and i'm assuming that you have one um one weapon with each of them with the exception of the the combat one yeah that, so, that'll be a pistol you, you, you have a pistol then the manticore will have the assault weapon and the no because they're saying that the manticore's allowed two 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 main weapons mm, so I yeah think it's going to be the other suits are going to be one main weapon and a pistol each yeah, no, there's no medic uh, suit. And oh, one of the things that they have mentioned is that there's no on foot mining. So there's no sort of, <laughs> there's nothing like that in No Man's Sky where you can sort of uh, drill in, into the ground and, and find resources. See, so, I was quite disappointed at that, actually. Yeah? Because it meant I couldn't have my own slave labor force mining for me. <laughs> Of course, there there was. I was thinking, oh, Shan's actually missing out on missing out on some content. No, he's missing out on on an opportunity to abuse people. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, the suits seem to be well thought out. Apparently, the thing about the suits is um, you buy them for credits, but that's it. They're standard suits, and the only way. You can upgrade your suits or make them better is by using the engineers. What do people think? What, how do people I feel about one that? One of the things that I was really glad to hear, though, was that the suits are... It sounds like the low end of the engineering is going to be very quick and easy and dirty to get into. Mm-hmm. But then once, if you want to really specialise your suits then, you know, basically it's going to be a grind. Um, so it, yeah. it, I, I, I quite like the fact that it, we can chip and change our ideas around. And then if we only once we actually settle down, we, we have to start to pay the piper, I guess. Um, right. So combating that slightly, uh, Bruce was in the forums the other day, and I'm sure this is just Bruce wearing his I'm Bruce hat rather than Bruce <laughs> I'm the CM hat. Uh, he was yeah. like, yeah, he was basically. I completely agree with you. I hate this the grind that is engineering, and it's something I want to. You know, I I don't like it. I wish we had some another way. That was um, definitely that was definitely just Bruce speaking. Bruce being Bruce, yeah, yeah, that was Bruce as with his Bruce hat on. Um, so I know I know it's not a part of the game that Bruce likes, and you know all yeah. these things are open for revaluating, revaluating, reevaluating. Yeah, looking into. Um, okay. <laughs> Crash. Yeah, I, I think it's a good way of doing it. Definitely, it, it, it's a common like MMO uh, 
technique to kind of reset the player base and, and kind of introduce a, a a new progression curve into a game. Uh, it's, it's essentially like a a new currency. You can think of it that way. It's like the the original currency for the game was credits, and everyone blitzed through those. And most people have billions now, uh, so they can afford anything. When the engineers were, were introduced on Horizons, the new quote unquote currency was uh, was materials, which you couldn't obtain with credits. And I think it's going to be the same thing again with with suits. So uh, whilst you can initially get those base suits in order to upgrade them and modify them and the weapons as well, it's going to be a case of acquiring some new quantity of something which allows you to progress through that curve. And I, I think it's a good way of doing it. I mean, a lot of other MMOs follow those same patterns, and it's for good reason. It's to stop that like uncapped power creep you get in games otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that in your ship you'll have a little suit cupboard? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I think I think it makes sense to do something like that because you're almost going to want to uh, set a a suit out with a particular loadout. Uh, you know your primary weapons that you like to use, uh, and then your utility suit with a particular loadout that you like to use, and be able to select them just like you can with SRVs because you can obviously have uh, SRVs and SLFs as well. You can have different loadouts, different builds, and then select them. So I, I would like to see something like that. I imagine they would do that. Okay, Suverin, you want to talk about inventory? I, yeah, I, I think one one notable omission to the game so far, and which is not which is not necessarily made itself particularly felt, but it will do in Odyssey, is inventory. The player doesn't have a navigable personal inventory. You've got um, you've got your bag of holding for all of your, mater- your all of your materials. So you've got room for a hundred <laughs> of this, two hundred that, etc., etc. Um, your outfit is essentially something that you go into a pause menu to configure, but it's not really an inventory. Those are things; th- those are cosmetics that you've unlocked, and you unlock and, and the hollow the hollow me menu functions not dissimilarly from the outfitting menu in Starports. Um, you you go you pause you, you you know you pause your activity, you go into it and um, uh, and get to equip what you've what you've paid real money for. The Odyssey. We're going to have grenades. We're going to have several different types of weapons. We're going to have. We've been promised a great deal of customization of avatars, um, which means more sunglasses, more hats, more jackets, all that sort of thing. We haven't seen any inventory screens at all. We haven't been. We haven't been. The Frontier have not talked about the concept of personal inventory at all. It will really interest me how they manage the player avatars customization and the number of things that you can hold. They did talk about the fact that the um, uh, the Remlock, um, the Remlock, uh, what's it called? Suit was um, has the the highest invent uh, the highest capacity for things that you can find, but that's not quite the same as your inventory of just general things that the player holds. So I wonder what the rest of you thought about that and whether whether we'd see it introduced. Mm. Crash, yeah, I got a response to that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's been a couple of hints. I mean, through the video, they they kind of dropped a few little bits and pieces that you, you can kind of clue together what they're doing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the only thing we've seen visually so far is just a listing of what you have and the quantities, which is about as much as we're going to see from an, from an inventory sort of perspective. But yeah, the only thing we've seen on uh, the screenshots and videos of Odyssey so far is, is the little heads up displays indications showing like you know you've got this this grenade equipped and that weapon equipped and that kind of thing that's that's it that's all we've seen so i hope we do get a little bit more in depth and as you you touched on there like the maverick they've said that it does have a bigger inventory size so you can store more stuff on it but it definitely does sound like it's going to be one of those uh situations where you can gather up to a limited amount of resources when you're on foot and then you're going to have to get back to your ship and kind of offload it all into kind of like a a bigger deeper storage i think 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That. Here's okay, a thought. Sorry. Next. Yeah, I was thinking about the inventory thing. Is that will it be possible to drop or pass items to other players? Uh, and the reason for, for saying that is not only because you get player-to-player trading and, and stuff like that, but also, um, let's say you're, you have a, a Maverick suit and you, you use it to store magazines, grenades, etc., etc. If you are able to drop them for other players to pick up, you then have a resupply role rather than just being a, a soloed player in a different suit. So I'm just wondering how that, if we'll get that. Well, it I was something that they, they it was well? something that they were talk, wanting to talk about was that you know they they do want players to support each other during during their bases the or whatever they're doing on bases. So um, I think you know it seems logical to me that you can drop compatible ammo types for people, uh, or you know for people in your wing. Yeah. Okay, Ben, you want to? Say? So I mean. Just to copy basically what they're doing in Star Citizen at the moment, and it's not something I'm actually a fan of, but I understand why they're doing it. It feels like in Star Citizen I could have 50 guns in my rucksack, 10 suits, and 100 medpeds and grenades and things like that. And somehow I have them, I have access to them all the time. But then I basically, I equip my suit. And then my suit has a number of slots on it. So it's got like a main weapon slot and a pistol slot and a, gr- and a couple of grenade slots and a couple of health slots. Um, and I understand why they've gone down that idea. Because um, you know, could you imagine, let's say you're doing a heist thing and you've, you've gone off and you, you're wearing your, your heavy-duty armor thing. And then all of a sudden you have to go off and do the... Do a, do a cut to to break in somewhere. I think it would generate a whole lot of salt if you're like, wow, wow, wow! I had to run all the way back to my spaceship to uh, break to hack into the computer, rather than just change change your suit round magically in the middle. I would prefer us to be able to to only be able to change our suits the in the ship and you know, to the ship is basically where we store our, all our inventory. Um. I would prefer that, but I would not be surprised if, for gameplay reasons, you can get changed in the middle of a firefight almost. Oh, no, there's, there's, I think there's too many people who go, oh, my immersion, if you suddenly changed in your pyjamas halfway through a fight. Crash. I, I know there would be, but if you don't do that, then the other half of the people will be... I can't go and do my job without running all the way back to my ship. Mm. It, it, it's a tricky one. It, it's uh, one of those common balance problems, isn't it, between something which is an enjoyable gameplay experience versus something which is a realistic and believable uh, world scenario. But it, you're talking about it's, it's almost the same situation as if you're out in your explorer ship and you come across some com- combat zone and you want to get engaged in combat. You can't morph your ASP into a Corvette. So I could understand why they would want to keep the kind of logical consistency of the fact that, yeah, you can't swap your suit in the middle of a zone. Maybe they could get away with something like if you find an airlock in a base, you could 
change in it maybe there's some kind of mechanic in the world where in this particular area you're okay to re-equip or something like that you find like a storage locker you can drop one gun in and pick another gun out that kind of thing i can i can imagine that would work but in terms of just refitting yourself on the fly i don't think that would fit in with the rest of the like logical consistency of the universe i've just had a brilliant idea how about we can summon our locker to wherever we are. <laughs> of an orbital drop pod. <laughs> the luggage off of, off of, uh, off of Discworld. <laughs> yes, the luggage of Discworld. Or, or, you, know, like, like, you get like a little R2 unit kind of coming along. On a skimmer. Know, <laughs> like, your luggage, sir, and then it puts it back to your suit for you. Your ship for you. And no, I reject that idea that. wholeheartedly. That sounds it's an awesome idea. idea. <laughs> I think it's, it's so good. And uh, I mean, it's, it's semi-practical. I prefer Karash's idea. <laughs> okay. Um, well, well, we'll move. We'll move back to actually some some exciting stuff. How about some guns? Let's talk guns for a minute. Um, at the moment, at the moment, there are four different types of damage that there, these weapons can do. We have laser guns. We have plasma guns. We have kinetic guns. We have explosives. Uh, we also have grenades, which come in three types, explosives, EMP, and uh, shield grenades. So, um, first question to everybody, do you think that's enough? Um, I reckon it's about enough. I, there's one doubt that springs to mind about the grenade mechanic, is they said it would be possible to damage a ship's shield by throwing grenades at it. And I'm just oh. like, what? Because, uh, uh, Shan, they said about four of you working together would be able to damage the Sidewinder shields. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Yes, four. It does. Because if you had a handheld sized grenade thing that could, take, that could damage a ship's shield, you would have multi cannons firing them. It just seems incredulous that anything handheld. Because we, yes, we all we all mock a sidewinder, right? Oh, it's a nasty shit, whatever. But sidewinders are actually ridiculously strong. When you look at the punishment that they would do, say, colliding into a space station, they don't do any damage to space stations. They don't. They barely damage them. You have to hit a space station pretty hard as a sidewinder with a sidewinder to shield to actually damage sidewinder. In, if you look at the energy involved in that. It's a pretty big hit. Mm. I mean, Shan, you can I like mean, what you like, but Frontier have said four or so NPCs or PCs will make short short work of an Elva SRV. And Frontier have also said a stock side would last about thirty seconds. They said that against plant, planetary bases, not. They said no. They said the uh, you the NPCs. They weren't talking about the tu- the turrets and things like that. I, I still well, anyway doubt. Handheld device will really damage. Well, they said they will. So that- you're wrong. End of. Well, I, I, I'm talking. I'm talking realism here. I'm not talking about Frontier's imagination. Yeah, yeah well, we're going to have to talk about is we're going to have to talk about Frontier's um, vision on this one because yeah, it might sound as if um, it doesn't make sense, but that's not what they've gone for. I mean, when we go back to the damage types, um, they, they say that the. Uh, the laser damage type is more effective against shields. Kinetic damage type is obviously better against armor. And plasma damage type is a kind of mixture of both. So you can you kind of get the feeling that carrying one weapon isn't going to be the most effective. You run in with laser 
is what happens if people have just got armor. You've, your laser will probably be useless against it. I do like the way that they've got this kind of rock, paper, scissors approach to it. How so, else would they do it? Well, normally it would be one one gun fits all, but... I think, yeah, I think it's it's a good com- It's Again, it's one of those common uh, design tropes, isn't it, where uh, one is... Uh, good against another one, but bad against uh, the third type, and and I think that's a good way of, of trying to find a balance in a system like that. But I, I, as much as I was pushing towards the realism on on the other thing and everything, I I, I have to agree with Shan. I think I think the way that they've got these shield grenades set up against ships, it seems ludicrously. OP. I'm, <laughs> I'd have to play it to see, but I can understand from the point of the perspective of, of individual hand-to-hand combat with, with two players. Yes, a grenade would instantly knock out the shields of, of an individual person. In terms of an SRV, I imagine you know one or two maybe might take it down because you've got to think about it in terms of the, the the size of the power plant that can be driving those shields. Really, uh, so an individual personal one would be very small. An SRV would be you know, considerably larger. A ship is, is enormous. It's putting out megajoules of output. It, it shouldn't be something that an, uh, even a group of individuals should be able to make a dent on, I don't think. Well, that's one thing that we'll have to come back to at a later mm. point, because um, it's been said that four people can damage a, a, a ship. The ship would have to be low grenade. enough to, to be, for grenades to be flung at it as well. Like, and be low enough. Or- it would need. It would need to be the the ship would need to be stationary enough for grenades to hit it, given that they've got a ballistic arc, and that the, and they would it would have to be low enough so that players could conceivably throw an object like a grenade high enough so that they landed near it or or, or struck it. I don't know. I just, I just, I, just, I, just, I think the mechanics of throwing a grenade might act as a little bit of a uh, as a check on how effective grenades are against spaceships. Maybe it's because. Because they, they said that, oh, that's what it's like when your ship's landed. So, yeah, yeah, yeah people turn up. A couple of grenades can and certainly wreck a, an aircraft so it can't fly again. Yeah, but modern combat aircraft are not armoured and don't have shields. They have millimetres thin fuselages. <laughs> okay, yeah, Ben, final thought on this, because it's, it's, it's going around in circles. I mean, end of the day, I want it to be like what Shan's saying. You know, I, I don't want our... Ship, our handheld weapons to be able to damage ships in a realistic manner, and I want us on foot to be bloody hard for a ship to to damage because we're just so so itty bitty teeny compared to the kind of things that they're used to shooting at. Um, mm. So I hope it's that way round. Frontier have said what they've said. I guess we're gonna have to wait until the beta to find out, aren't we? Mm. Now, one interesting thing that they have said about... Oh, Suv, do you want to talk about ships targeting players? Um, yeah, like at the moment, when you if you try and take out an, a, a skimmer from a height, it's actually not very easy. Um, the uh, your, your hard points often have a spread, which is much... There's often a spread between your hard points, which is much wider than a skimmer. A human is going to be very, very small. And yes, you can... Yeah, Ben's just said splash damage. Absolutely, yes, you could use splash damage, and that's the way that most people most people get around um, having to take out skimmers. But, um, but not all weapons do splash damage, and, uh, and lots, of, lots, of, lots of players run ships that primarily don't do splash damage. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if actually trying to take out a, uh, trying to take out a player with, um, with most, of the hard, most of the weapons that can be fit on hard points is actually quite difficult. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
One of the things I did like also was the fact that um, grenades and weapons of some sort will be affected by the gravity. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. I could just imagine yeah. throwing a grenade with 3G in it, plonking at their feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run away! Well, you see, that's one thing that they have said. They have said that, uh, we, that there's an upper limit of gravity that they will allow you to come out in your suit. So, um, <laughs> a th- but still, throwing a, a grenade in 3G in 3G is going to be a lot. Well, it, you won't even manage to get it a third of the distance that you would in normal G. <laughs> Ed says, "Roll it." Um, Ben saying, "Rolling grenades." All of a sudden, I've got just got the image of um, uh, curling in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just Death thinking curling. of throwing a whole load of grenades up that ship. <laughs> we should uh, we should set up some uh, a curling event. <laughs> a curling event with grenades. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ben, carry on. Well, I I was basically I said rolling grenades because I would imagine if you're in a high enough. Essentially, bowling with hand grenades is going to make a lot more sense than throwing it. And I just wonder if that would even be possible. <laughs> and no, crown green balls is now completely ruined. <laughs> or actually, no, it's probably made it a lot more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, new, just gives a new definition to French balls, doesn't it? Souve. <laughs> um, the... Uh... This is going to sound really uncharitable and um, uh, and whiny, and I don't mean it to. Um, Frontier have said that you won't be able to deploy on high G worlds because they don't want um, because you wouldn't be able to move around on them. So what's the point of letting you walk on them? One thing that mm. I, 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 one thing I generally prefer in games is when you are permitted to do things, even if even if it kills you. So what I, what I really don't like is invisible walls in games. Like when you when you come out of a, a when you come out onto a space station in um, an X four, you can walk to the edge, and then there's an invisible wall, and it stops you from floating away into space. Right. I get why they do that because you'd just die if you floated off, um, or you know it would, or, or it's difficult to code for or whatever. Um, I'd, I'd much prefer it if uh, if you just died because it's it, you, the player has more agency in World of Warcraft. There's famously a um, uh, there's a bit of the map that the devs don't want you to go into, and I, I don't, I've no, I don't play that game, so I, I don't know what it's called. But there's a, there's a like a big gate there with a giant NPC monster that absolutely ruins you when you try and go past it. And the, um, uh, and the idea is that it's, it doesn't lead to anything. It's not like there's a, a whole new gameplay area down there. There's nothing. The devs haven't put anything there. It's basically an invis- it's a more interesting invisible wall to stop you going there. For me, that's mm-hmm. so much more interesting than invisible walls. Invisible walls immediately rip you out of, out of that game's universe and remind you, don't get too immersed now. It's a video game. And I, I kind of wish, this, this sounds so nitpicky, but I kind of wish that Frontier had said, yeah, you can deploy on any planet you want. Yeah, you can get out of your SRV absolutely wherever you want. You'll red out immediately and die, but you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, they haven't really ex- explained how your commander's able to survive in, in a, a 3G environment. I mean, it's it's just imagine that everything is three times the weight. It, that's, ooh... Yeah, and and also, I think we'll have to give them the benefit of the doubt because we're able, as a characters, to land and drive around on seven G worlds. But then all of a sudden, when we stand, um, we're not allowed to actually walk outside the 
the SRV on these worlds. I, I think if this is definitely hand wavy and that they've, they've got to put in a limit somewhere. Okay, uh, Shan. Yeah, another piece of hand wavy um, is they've mentioned that the way we stay on the ground in low G environments is mag boots or ground. Oh, yeah. In the same way as we have mag boots in the ship, then it makes completely sensible it's mag boots in, um, in the base. Yes. However, how do mag boots work if you're on a low G <laughs> planet when there's no metal? And, and secondly, if you're in the, um, the cantina or whatever it's going to be called on a base, then yep. what's to stop your coffee, your food, or the plant you happen to knock into just floating off? So there seems to be this discrepancy between keeping the player on the ground, which we completely all understand, mag boots, great, and the environment around the player. The other thought that does occur to me is that if they're mag boots... Well, I'm gonna... Yeah, go on, just quickly, and then we'll get crashing before he explodes. Yeah. If they're mag boots, why can't we then mag boot along the walls or even on the ceiling like an inception <laughs> or basically half of the wall running games there are on the the xbox crash <laughs> yeah i would love that no i think um i just wanted to point out that in some of the videos you can kind of see on the on the jump packs that they have like vertical facing thrusters as well so i'm guessing they've probably gone the same route with the SOVs where they can orient them to face uh, point down to give you kind of a bit more of additional gravity assist. So I'm guessing that's the route they're going with it. My, my bigger concern, though, is how they're going to handle the what should be a variation in animation. Uh, you know, walking around in 1G is relatively easy. Trying to run in, in lower G, that's next to impossible. And trying trying to walk in <laughs> in a, lar- a, a high G world would be more like more akin to crawling through mud. You know, so are they going to handle that in the animation? Are we going to see that, or are players just going to move slower and faster based on that? You know, yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, Sue, so if you wanted to talk, oh, hang on, no, sorry, Ben, dirty magboots, he said. Yeah, I'm just picturing, you know, we've got our mag boots on when we're outside and they just go off and pick up all the all the ferrous particles on the in the environment. So when you get in, your boots are basically covered in uh, essentially in iron filings. Like in mud. So as you walk along the planet's surface, you pick up anything magnetic until you yeah. are essentially a stationary block of metallic <laughs> particles. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's going to be an electromagnet that you just turn off. Or ideally dial up, but yeah. Okay, <laughs> so you 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 turn you turn up magboots. Um, the uh, um, the thing that the, the bit with magboots that I, I'm going to find interesting, like Orbis's Ocellus's settlements, they all have a, an up. The only the only environment that we ha- are going to be allowed to walk around that doesn't have some kind of an up is the mm-hmm. outposts. Um, and the d- outposts have always been designed with no directionality as part of their, as you know, they've, they've famously been designed that way right the way from the, the, the beginnings of the game. It'll really interest me how Frontier handle the environments within outposts um, with regard to mag boots and orientation, because there isn't actually any reason that players couldn't walk on the walls and the floors. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you're laughing, but like, you know, why not? Like, is no, there no, going to be... Is I'm actually agree. How are we, yeah, how are they, they going to handle that? Like, I, I'm curious as to what you guys think. <laughs> and Shan's beaten me to it because I was all of a sudden into the Spider-Verse was, um, was going through my head. <laughs> and I, I desperately hope that the inside of the outposts 
do reflect a Nolgy environment where, fine, we're not all floating around all the time, but I can be working on this wall, you can work, work on that wall, and Shan can work over onto the wall. I don't work on any walls. Get someone else to. Okay, so Shan can get his minions to work on the other wall. Yeah, also, the internal architecture could be very interesting if you allow wall and ceiling movement. Yeah, because, yeah. well... It always reminds me of the Martian, actually. Um, and to tell you the truth, I see a lot of them, uh, you know, the film The Martian, I see a lot of that in, in, in basically the, uh, the design of Elite. So you can just imagine if you're in a zero G, you can float around, float to the, uh, to a certain part of the station. And then as soon as you find that station is actually part of the station is spinning, because there are outposts that have little spinning sessions, you have to orientate yourself correctly into the spinning section and all of a sudden you've just gone from floating to up down see um, I was thinking of Ender's that. game I was thinking of Ender's game with the enemy gated down if you remember yeah. Ender's game oh yeah yeah game. okay got you um, okay so basically we've um, we've discussed some of the the mechanics that have been um, dis, uh put forward as part of the interview with Arf and lead designer Gareth Hughes. Um, I mean, how did you guys feel about the the way that interview was handled? Because I thought it came across very well. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really, really good. I think mean, Arthur, uh, Arthur is a good showman and um, Gareth is a good communicator, I thought. I hadn't seen much of Gareth before, but he um, he... He talks about the game with a lot of passion and understanding, um, and uh, and his insights, um, particularly into the into the the trade offs that they that they weighed up and the and the direction that they want to go in. I found really interesting. Yeah. Okay. We've we've got some clips from this interview, and most of these uh, most of these actually ask uh, answer some very interesting um, queries people have had about uh, the way Odyssey is going. And the first one was to a question about using smaller or medium ships within Odyssey. Can, uh, if, we could repl- uh, if we could play the reply, see what everybody's take on it is. Uh, finding ways to encourage players to perhaps use some of the smaller or medium ships has been a really nice step forward uh, and actually created a bit more variety, you know, in uh, in the ships that we're seeing, yeah. seeing our testers and stuff using. So that's super. No. That did sound interesting. It sounded like they've been, uh, there's been a lot of advice um, or feedback gathered from the forums that, you know, once you've got past a certain level of ship, you never go back and those ships are never used again. It sounds to me as if they've found a way for you to use them. Now, how do you think that is? Should we start with Crash? Oh, go on then. I'm I'm really really excited about that, actually. That that kind of pricked my ears up as soon as I heard that response, and I was like, "That's brilliant. That's the sort of thing that I've I've wanted for a long, long time." Because exactly like you said, you get past that that power curve, and they just become kind of lesser tools that you don't really want to use anymore. Because you know you've got something bigger and better. You've got a bigger gun. You've got a, you know everything on on the larger ship. So yeah, I think that's great. And one of the ideas that I was kind of spitballing on some of my earlier streams was the idea of uh, a smaller ship might be better at kind of like a smuggling mission, for example. Mm-hmm. It, might, it might be able to keep it off the radar longer. You might run it cooler, that kind of thing. Um, and hence would be better for that sort of thing. And also with the idea of settlements, kind of makes sense that you could fly them under the radar. You could get them closer to a settlement before they're detected by anything, giving you that kind of uh, a purpose for them existing in the game again. Yeah. Yeah. 
So basically, you, uh, a settlement sees an anaconda approaching. They're easy to detect. They're, and mm-hmm. the guns aren't just open up. Well, exactly. If yeah. If you're approaching in a cobra, then thing you yep. get in there quite easily. That's that's mm-hmm. that sounds great, Ben. What do you what do you think? I I think the way that they'll probably be bringing them back in is the ease of flying them around confined areas. You know, you, you fly a sidewinder or even a, a crate around a confined area, it's going to be a hell of a lot more responsive than flying a Corvette or a Cutter. Um, yeah. yeah. So, it just, I mean, that's the whole reason why I love flying my, my crate in combat zones, because it's just, it's so much more manoeuvrable and fun. But I think in terms of, oh, have you guys ever done any of the base scanner mission kind of things? Yes, Wait. lots of them. And, so you know how you can do that from your... You're meant to do it from your your FRV, but you can go and do it from your ship, yes? That was the voice of somebody who's done a lot of base scanning missions there. <laughs> I, I, I think you're and right. Hang on, hang on. So it's a lot easier doing that in a smaller ship, and you just you can scoot down, you can get right close to it without bumping into all the things, and then you just nip off before they even give them monkeys. Whereas... I've tried doing it in my cutter, and I'm like nosing it at about an eighty degree angle, and my nose is at is on the ground, and I still can't get the damn thing close enough. <laughs> yes, uh, thanks, Ben. I I was about to agree with you, and you cut me off, and I thought, what is? Have I just shocked you into a <laughs> utterance because I was agreeing no, with you? Finishing what I was saying. Um, but what you were saying though about using smaller ships and things like that, I completely get because if you ever tried to do a Guardian Ruin mm-hmm. in anything bigger than an Asp, yes, they are a real pain to land at. I mean, you yes. have to take something like a GVX or something just to kind of land on it. And even a crate is the wrong shape for many Guardian Ruins. So if it's that mechanic, I completely understand how you can use a small, how you best use a smaller ship, just simply to stop yourself having a long walk from your ship to the base and be exposed to fire. <laughs> Souverine, before everybody goes dot mad, get your point in. This will be very quick. Um, the the big ships are like force multipliers for um, for achieving goals that are typically about resource acquisition, um, and they and and generally they're 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 better at blowing up ships in a, uh, a non-labor-intensive way. Um, I really, really like the fact that Frontier are um, that Frontier are deliberately making small and medium ships more relevant because it addresses, to some degree, the problem with uh, price inflation, whereby now that everything, all the activities pay out more, it's much easier to get to the big ships. That is less of a problem if the small and medium ones stay relevant for longer. Right. Excellent. So, Crash... Yeah, that's a very good point. And I, I think one of the things that backs up that that might be the case is if you look at, because uh, so, I've, I've been freeze framing the videos ago, like frame by framing, stepping through all the all the new info. Um, there's a lot of clips where they show what appear to be static landing pads, but they're very small. They don't appear to be able to fit the larger ships in. So I think that's the direction they're going in. That these settlements are only going to be able to have smaller ships that can dock with them and connect in a meaningful way. The larger mm. ships would have to land rough and then you'd have to walk in. So like you were saying about the, the being able to run to your ship makes much more sense. You can get a smaller ship closer so you don't have so far to run with that power core. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, now there was the. We've got a second clip. Um, now this was to do with um, 
hacking terminals or scanning people in their credentials uh, in order to gain access levels within an outpost terminal in the settlement and if you've managed to gain authorization that allows you access to it either by placing a hacking device on it or scanning some of the ai that are already in the settlement uh, covertly and basically duping their their credentials you can gain access to the staff list pinpoint the target that you're after in terms of location highlight them in world with one of your uh, insight ar markers and it makes it much much easier then to track them down but Right now, this is to do with um, with uh, an, an assassination mission. Uh, people were asking, you know, how do these uh, missions actually work? And they had they were given examples of basically, if you have an assassination mission and your targets at this particular location, you can basically go in and wipe everybody out, and one of the people that will be there will be your target, so to speak. Bit of an overkill. Uh, and of course, if you're not in an anarchy system, it will have repercussions. Um, but th- what they were discussing there is an easier way to actually um, identify the target and go in with a surgical strike. Shan, what, did, what do you think to the this kind of mission approach? I think a lot of it depends on how complex a mission is. Because the way it was portrayed on stream... Mm-hmm. I got the impression it's almost like a GTA style heist. You know, we have multi phases of you, I don't know, you infiltrate the base, you whatever, whatever. And it almost seemed like a GTA style heist. Now, if they're that complex, then great. However, if it's just a, well, you cut open the patch, you scan with your Dyson multi tool, and then all of a sudden it decides to shut down and it then lets you go in, i.e., it's a single step. Mm-hmm. then I'm not so sure. Um, but it really depends on how complex the mission generation system is now as to as to how meaningful this is. So when they say hack terminals, are yeah. they talking about, um, I don't know, cyberpunk or Deus Ex style hacking? Or are they talking about you just scan and it goes down like they have in the uh, scenarios? So yeah, a lot of it is a big, de- it depends for me. <laughs> yeah, we need more information, Suv. They talked about um, they talked about hacking being a device that you put onto it. So I get the impression that hacking will be a case of actually a little bit like the way it works in Star Citizen, where you buy a you you buy a MacGuffin, take it to the take it to the thing, and attach it to the console, and then you've hacked it. Yeah, I mean to, that's the equivalent of having R two D two turn up next to the uh, to the outlet port and. Uh, that's it. Your droid's done all the hard work for you. Um, Crash? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the concept. I like, I like what they, they've described in it. Uh, I think it's definitely, it, it's nice to have something more involved than just going in and pew-pew. Now, yeah, that was that was my big concern. Like like a couple of weeks back, I was looking at it and I was a little bit on the fence still because so far up to that point, we'd only really seen videos which were just like running and gunning and all that stuff, which is mm-hmm. awesome visuals, great stuff for, for, for uh, you know, promotional material and that sort of stuff, but not really me. I like the stealthy approach. So I, I'm really excited for that i think that that's going to be very interesting to try it out i I want to um uh, see more of it though i want to understand how that's going to work what like like sham was saying the the levels of the complexity to it is it just a simple once you've got a device on there you've got a target lock on your scanner and you just head over that Mm -hmm. direction or is it going to be more involved um 
I'm hoping so. Um, what they've said about like the having the manifest of personnel on, on the settlements, that sounds like an interesting mechanic. It definitely sounds like it's more involved and more thought out, but I think it's one of those kind of wait-and-see things. Yeah. I mean, per- personally, I'm hoping that you have to assemble a bit of a crew so, you know, you've got one person who can hack, one person who, who's a cutter and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Ben, back to you. I'm just wondering, would you guys prefer the hacking mechanism to essentially run up to the terminal, slap your hacking device on, watch a progress bar count down 10 seconds, and then, you're, then you've got level 2 access, or prefer to have to complete a minigame like Mass Effect or Fallout or mm, I, you know, so many different things? I, I think I prefer the idea of just slapping a device on it, to be honest. Because um, I prefer the idea of slapping a device on it and then you've got to defend that point while the device is working. Mm. And Mm -hmm. um, that's one Mm. thing that always got me in Mass Effect is that you were getting shot at, you decided to hack a a door, but you never got shot while you were going that 10, 15 seconds working out which bit, why is that? Well, greater depth though, Colin, to that, Mm. is that if you have a player who has to hack the system, and you then defend them, that's a deeper gameplay mechanic because you then look for people who are skilled at that minigame to get you in quickly to make it easier. So rather than just have a MacGuffin that always takes 10 seconds or whatever it is to get in, you're reliant on another player's skill to get you in quicker. Now, of course, if you're solo, then the MacGuffin will take 20 seconds. But let's say a skilled player can do it in five, mm-hmm. then that becomes a reason to then take the specialist hacker along because it makes it easier. That is a very good point. I hadn't considered that. Crash. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I was. I was absolutely read my mind. That, that. That's exactly the sort of thing I'd like to see. I'd like to. So it, it becomes an optional thing because at the end of the day, I, I like the idea of uh, almost like a hacking mini game because it's something which is it's fun and it's interesting. It kind of breaks up uh, the gameplay, gives you something different to to do. Um, but the problem with those things is once you get really good at them, sometimes you can find them like like you just don't want to do them anymore. You, you just it becomes one of those things you've done it so many times. It's like oh, just 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 work for you sort of thing. So having the option of it based uh, being a base time that it will just do it itself, but then being able to override it and accelerate it. I think that's, that's absolutely great. I like that compromise. Okay. Um, I mean, as, as far as the missions themselves, they get, they've, they really gave um, two examples. They give um, an assassination mission are the tools that you would need. Uh, oh, sorry, Suv. Hello, Suv. Is he gone? Sorry, sorry. I muted myself. He's probably got um, a face on because he oh, okay. Sorry, I'm myself. Um, last thing on how to hacking, and this is this is going to be such an unpopular opinion. Um, I think hacking is so boring. Like, <laughs> I, I generally, I generally am slightly turned off by cyberpunk settings because simply because hacking is incredibly dull. I mean, hacking in real life, have you seen it? It's just typing. I don't understand why, <laughs> why hacking is always this. Like, you know, in, in fantasy games, your options are stealth with a bow and arrow, hit people with axes, or hit people with in in sci-fi settings your options are big gun little gun or typing like what what the <laughs> hell why why is hacking still this you know in every game it's like oh we've got stealth options you can hack your way in have you bloody watched people hacking it's so boring like i don't want to have to do a mini game which is definitely not going to be real hacking because that's actually difficult um i just i just <laughs> i just find the whole thing completely baffling the whole thing's so stupid like i, I just want to if you're going to make me bloody hack, 
If you're going to make me type in a video game, give me a MacGuffin that I have to defend for a period of time while people are shooting at it. Don't make me like, don't make me role play typing. It's just stupid. <laughs> Sorry, we just looked at the GIF in chat. We'll have to put the, uh, we'll have to put the GIF up in the show notes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I get completely what you mean about the uh, the difference between real life hacking and and, <laughs> and um, hacking in video games. It's it's just yeah. <laughs> there was a um, there was a, another another thing I wanted to say slightly, which, which was just touching on the crew comment. Somebody mentioned the assembling a crew for a for a heist. I think my preference with this would be to have it as as very organic. So you can go and do this completely on your own if you want. Um, but the most optimal way to achieve your goal of stealing the power core would be to get somebody in an SRV, get somebody in a small ship with rockets on it, get somebody with a manticore suit who's got loads of um uh who's got the right weapon types, yada yada yada. I'd, I'd like I'd like it so that if you want to play it like GTA and, and assemble a crew for a heist to do it very optimally, then you can. But equally, you're not forced to do that, and and you can do it just by yourself if you're a, if you're a lone wolf. I, I I'd like to keep it as organic as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they they did cover two missions, which was the assassination missions, uh, and, they, and they walked through that, uh, and then there was obviously the settlement power core mission that you were so excited about earlier. Uh, yeah, well, I was just going to uh, mention to, to about Sue's point about assembling a crew. Um, it is a couple of things. First of all, again, it depends on how complex the missions are, because if they are GTA-style heists or MMO-style raids or something like that that requires a teamwork, then that's one thing. If they are, you just need an extra gun to make it a bit easier, then that's the other. But if it is the, the heist, you know, the organized content thing, then presumably you're going to need some sort of LFG mechanic so you can actually find crew members or who may be doing the same thing as you. And then if it's physical, do they then need to fly where you are, land and etc. So if you have a organized mission that needs multiple people, you need a way of doing LFG in that as well, I think, other than your friends list. Yeah. Looking for wing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was saying. Oh, I've been saying that for how long? I got no idea. Ben, did you want to cover the uh, NPC scanning? I'll say yes when I've got my microphone turned back on again. Yes. That'd be, that would be helpful. It would be. So, I mean, we've covered, obviously, scanning and ha- we've covered hacking and things like one of the ways to get higher level access. The other level, the other way we can get levels in, get access in the game is obviously by scanning various NPCs. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's going to be interesting. Um, but I think what's almost more interesting about that and actually about in the hacking as well is if the NPC sees you, we don't, we don't know how they're going to do the scanning. But about yeah. If they see you, if they detect you're scanning them and stealing their identity, they're going to be a bit sus with you. <laughs> um, and obviously, if they see you going off and hacking something, again, they're going to be sus. So I'm very interested in the AI that they've got for all this and how that's going to work and what it's going to do. Shan? Uh, yes, I was going to say about the stealth mechanic, which I think links in with what Ben may have been talking about with the scanning uh, of NPCs. So with the stealth mechanic, when you see 
other games that do stealth, there's usually like some kind of visual pattern as to where the NPC is looking. So you can kind of crawl behind the boxes and avoid the red perimeters and stuff. So I'm wondering, will they have that similar mechanic where you actually see on the ground where the uh, field of vision is for the NPC, or do you think you'll have to guess it? Hmm. I I think they probably would. Uh, I mean, based on what we've seen in the HUD so far, in the top left corner, we've got the little mini map display. I'm thinking they're going to have to have something like that in there, so you can see that like cone of vision sort of thing. Because um, otherwise, it, it it makes it virtually impossible. It's it's really really difficult from a an animation perspective to guess what the cone of vision is from a character's <laughs> kind of <laughs> geometry. That the model it, it's almost impossible, really. So they need something like that. Yeah, but we've all played these games where. You go and block the character's line of sight somehow, whether it's because you're hiding in a corner or whatever. And, you know, I know you're around here somewhere, as they look at every direction <laughs> but at you. Must be are, you thinking of, are you thinking of, all the, of, um, of Skyrim when uh, <laughs> you put a bucket over the head? They can't You've just shot it. me with an arrow in my face. Oh, it must have been, must have been my imagination. <laughs> and... So we've we've got all these other games which have got this kind of mechanic, and it's like if you're inside the line, they're like, yeah, you, you, you're in trouble, mate. But if you're just outside the line, they're like, yeah, whatever. You can go off and murder five people and rape their babies. They're not going to care. Okay, that was a bit strong, but never mind. Crash. Anyway. No, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult, isn't it? It's one of those, again, it, it's the compromise between it being uh, believable and, and uh, realistic versus uh, actually a fun and enjoyable gameplay experience. So the problems with being stealth in a game like that is you don't have a, a perception of your own body. You've got a very limited view. You don't know how much space you're taking up. You don't know how much cover uh, it, it, you've got. Um, so it's very difficult to get an idea of, you know, am I actually hidden from that AI? Uh, I've said it many times before on, on other things. It, it, it's very easy to make an AI which is... Uh, perfect in its perception and ability to shoot you, spot you, everything else. It's very difficult to make an AI which is believably fallible, like human behavior, makes mistakes. It's very difficult to get to that level of AI. The other thing is, that recurs to me, is that how much of a cheat would be using the camera suite to zoom around your character to try and find... <laughs> That's a really good point. Right. Well, we're, we're going to have to touch on that one uh, another time. Um, the last clip that we do have is basically when uh, the, one of the big questions was what kind of damage does one person do to, say, an SRV and, or a ship and vice versa, as, as you've probably already heard. So if, if we could play clip three. Can you want to use my SRV in a combat zone and can I run someone over yes. it? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've actually, so yes to both of those. So well, there we have it. So, Death Race Elite Dangerous has been confirmed. That sounds fun. I'm imagining. Um, I'm imagining drag racing where you get somebody with a couple of you get somebody with a couple of flags in the front, and then they throw them to the ground, and then suddenly all the SRVs tear past. Crash. It'd be like Mad Max, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or as Mas- uh, as Crash would say, Command Command <laughs> <laughs> I want that. I want that so bad. That's the first thing I'm going to try and beat her. So sorry for anyone I run over. It does raise the interesting question. I know we're getting short of time, but one of the things I touched on was um, how you protect the individual player on the ground against assault by 
the bigger ships and stuff. And they talked about having these anti-ship weapons and things like that. But again, I'm not sure about that because it's like it's supposed to work in currently, you know, with you get shot at by base defenses if you get too close. But you can quite easily kill people on the landing pad in Dekiat and be out of range of the station defenses. So I just kind of wonder how, how that's going to actually work in practice. But also, maybe, hopefully, we'll get some more information. But what about crime and punishment? Because, yeah. because if, if I run up and I don't know, shoot Colin in the head, do I get a bounty on me for shooting Colin in the head, or does my ship get the bounty? I, if I remember rightly, if I remember, this was also touched on. If you kill me in a in a player v player situation, and it's not a combat zone, then apparently you become you have notor- notoriety put against you. So it goes it goes against you personally. So how big a bounty would you incur? Because the only shot we've seen is someone gets a hundred credits. Is it the same as what it would be if I was on in a ship? Because you know, whether you blow someone up when they're in a ship or you shoot them on the ground, you still kill someone, right? <laughs> yeah, but to think about it, um, it's the Pilots' Federation uh, who basically pay out the bounty. At that moment, when you're on the ground, you're not a pilot. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, you sort of are. So, are you then? Does that then mean you're not elite when you're out of a ship? Because the elite ranking is a pilot's federation ranking. Yeah, that's a, that's as far as you're concerned. Once you've left your ship or your SRV, you're just a pleb with with two legs. Well, no, I mean, you're still a pilot. If you if you if you're if you're a if your job is being as a if you're in, if you are a pilot, just because you're not in a spaceship doesn't mean you're not a pilot. Hmm. Right. Anyway, um, I'll ask that. Yeah, let's go past that one. Um, finally, uh, now they've said that there are going to be new engineers in Odyssey. Finally, so that obviously, so that you can upgrade your suits. But then, much to everybody's excitement, we found that we can ex- visit existing engineers on foot. Uh, this is awesome. This is so cool. This is uh, the things that I never ever thought this game would do. You just I, want I, to be the member of the Etienne Dawn fan club, don't you? I do. Yeah, it's the fan fan boying going that's going on at the moment. Scaring. I want my I want a pack of Etienne Dawn special uh, Colonia Colonia Chipolatas. See, I can't wait to see Ben getting slapped around the face by Felicity Farseeder by trying to chat her up. <laughs> it's going to be L- Laurie Jameson. I'm going to. Oh, she's out of your league, mate. <laughs> Wait, for, for Steve Arson is out of his league. <laughs> yeah, my, com- my commander looks nothing like me. Is that a good thing? Probably. <laughs> Tis for his commander. <laughs> oh, and one other thing they said, the only place where they will not allow uh, combat between commanders is actually in the social hubs. So basically, outside the bar, you will be able to shoot bits of bits of pieces bits of people off themselves and but as soon as you all go into the bar that's it you're all just having a drink i can just see planting proximity mines outside of the bar so when people you walk (laughs) oh dear yeah so in general um has this uh, christmas stream made you feel 
more or less excited for Odyssey? We'll we'll go and ask Ben that first. More, but more because we got to see people welding or you know um I'll say welding, but it's like the opposite of welding because you're cut you're cutting it basically. Mm-hmm. Cutting things to go and hack them. Um you know, the, the gunplay, I'm looking forward to it and I will partake in it, but it doesn't excite me. What excites me is is the hacking and the typing missions that Zoof doesn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, so- watch out for that, Ben. He's 100 words per minute. <laughs> <laughs> Elite rank in typing. <laughs> Elite secretary, sorry. <laughs> I guess it would bring a new meaning to uh, the the um, the shortcut PA, wouldn't it? So people think plasma accelerator, but that's actually it's PA. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear, yeah. Crash, did you have something? To add? <laughs> yeah, no. I think I think it's definitely it's raised the squee level from from moderate to uh, mildly uh, interested in what's coming. So yeah, definitely. I'm 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 more excited what they showed I me. Mean, I I think I've said from the start that I didn't want something which was just another FPS shooter because it's there's so much competition in that market and they they weren't they wouldn't wouldn't be able to compete with some of the big hitters out there if they just made something which was a, a shooter experience. So I'm glad they've put a lot of focus and, and time and effort into designing all of these interesting uh, alternative modes of play. So, Excellent. Shan, your final opinion. Um, did it make me... It, yes, it, it's made me more curious to see how it plays and mechanics of it. I, I'm still at the back of my mind thinking it's Odyssey is 80% FPS and 20% screenshot generator. Um, so it, I'm... Not on the fence. I'm I'm optimistic for it. I just want to see more detail, how it plays, the things about crime and punishment, missions, and all the stuff we talked about. I'm very interested to see how they work that out. Isn't yeah. Elite Dangerous already a screenshot generator? All right, ben, what was that? Isn't Elite Dangerous already a screenshot de- generator? Well, there are other purposes for exploration other than generating screenshots, but uh, yeah, but not many. I'm being nice. Okay. Well, okay. Let's move over to the, to Souverain. What's what's your verdict? Uh, uh, are you yeah. are you excited? It's um yeah. Verdict is uh, the wrong wrong word. It sounds like I'm passing judgment. I uh, I I'm really no, really we excited. We want judgment. We want judgment. We want you to have an opinion. <laughs> we are nothing. We're nothing but judgmental on this show. Steve. We're nothing no. but our opinions. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Here you go. I I think. I think it's brilliant. I think it's really exciting. I, as I said earlier, I didn't, I, all I wanted from Odyssey was the ability to, uh, for an experience that, that made starships more than avatars and space stations more than spinning assets. What we talk about Lizzie and Etty and Dawn again. (laughs) And what we've, what we've been given is a lot more than that. And, and a lot of people have said, um, similar to what Karash just said, which is, I'm glad it's not just a shooter because they would never be able to compete with Halo or whatever. Um, and um, and yeah, absolutely right. The thing that that misses is that this is being this is being added to already one of the largest games that's ever been made, but also a phenomenal 
a phenomenally rewarding sandbox. It's not like they're, they're making this in isolation and chucking it out into the ether to compete with Halo. Elite Dangerous is never going to compete with Halo or any other shooter because it's it's one of the biggest games ever made. It's a phenomenal space sim. It's the best space sim that you can play today. Um, and a terrific sandbox for individual narrative. And it is now going to have a perfectly functional first-person shooter element added into that. And by the looks of it, quite smoothly and and um and well integrated rather than just tacked on so when people say like oh you know how's it going to compete with x y or z shooter i think this is the point it doesn't need to compete it doesn't need to be the best first person shooter out there because this isn't a first person shooter it is Mm -hmm. basically a science fiction universe you can live in with guns do you see the difference do you see what i mean yes yeah oh no i know exactly the difference because basically um one of the reasons i i do like No Man's Sky. It's not for the space flight because I can't stand the space flight in that game. But the running around um, uh, and the exploration and everything that you can do on the planets, I think, is brilliant. Now, yeah, exactly. it does feel that Elite Dangerous is now going to take a bit of that away from No Man's Sky. And um, so I'm going to marry it with a decent uh, first person experience, ex- exploration experience. <laughs> add on the best flight sim model that we've got. So um, I can if they've, if they've got this right, I can see myself uninstalling No Man's Sky. Oh, that's a, that's a big claim. I, I, don't, I don't think I'll do that. I, they're, 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 they're tickling different, um, tickling different things for me at the moment. They, um, they're, they're different experiences. But I do think that what Elite Dangerous is becoming is the kind of everything game that mm. M- that we all thought MMOs were going to be the, the the sort of universe that you can just completely go and live in like it, it's it's not just a first person shooter it is an entirely new it's an entirely new dimension it's going from a plane to a cube if that makes sense yeah well um i'm afraid that is going to uh, wrap up the main uh the main discussion uh, and our main reaction to the uh uh, to the live streams that happened uh, on Thursday, the 17th of December. Um, this is not recorded live. I'll just point this out, as, of, as we said before. Um, and hopefully we'll get this out to you soon. So we'll just do our usual um, uh, shout-outs. Of course, we have our sister station, Hutton Orbital Radio, which broadcasts on a Thursday. Uh, you can tune in at TV at twitch.tv Hutton Orbital Truckers, or if you just want the audio, go to radio.forthemug.com. Uh, for the discerning commander who likes a bit of CQC action, check out the CQC Discord at discord.me slash elite dangerous. Uh, of course, those of you who like a literary discussion about science, sci fi, fantasies, sci fi, and fantasy books, please subscribe to the Data Slate podcast as created by Station Commander Alan Stroud. I'm hoping by the time this is broadcast, we will have a, uh, I think Commander Witherspoon is planning a review of the year uh, in the style of uh, the Galnet Digest News. So um, fingers crossed, um, if it's not following this show, it will be on his YouTube channel at some point. So um, I would like to thank, basically, especially thank Crash for turning up and and, uh, bringing his opinion. but that is it for this final episode of Lave Radio for the year. Uh, I think everybody here at Lave Station would like to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Pause for dramatic effect and everybody to join in. Oh.
I was going to say, have a safe New Year as well. Get fucking wrecked. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, guys. And Merry Christmas. And practice your... Sorry. And practice your typing, everyone. Yeah, so practice your typing, everyone. (laughs) Practice your typing. Yes. Wish everyone a Merry Christmas, but stay safe and stay away from people. (laughs) Stay. Yes, be an introvert. Keep away from people. It's just been awesome for introverts. It's been, I've loved it. Mm-hmm. I haven't felt the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, me too. Yeah. My life really hasn't changed very much at all. <laughs> yeah, so um, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email info at laveradio.com, hit us up at facebook.com slash laveradio, tweet us at laveradio, or you can join our Discord server by going to discord.io slash laveradio. We also have a TeamSpeak server where commanders come out to hang out and chat, which you can find at teamspeak.laveradio.com. Do get in touch if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in a future episode. Lave Radio is normally recorded live on a Tuesday evening at 8.30 and streamed out at laveradio.com slash live. So, as I said, thanks to Ben, thanks to Shan, uh, thanks to Souverine, and special thanks also goes to today's tech specialist, Commander Ventura. Until next time, Commanders, fly safe. But if you can't do that, type dangerous. to uh, scientists, Uranus is full of methane gas. I think you're right though, Colin. What have you done with Shan, and when can we have him back? Galnet News Digest, 22nd of December, 3306. We read the news so you don't have to. In this week's news, time is running out for cheap ships, the exploration bonanza and for faster engineering. The gift of limpet life. The face of Tharg the Mighty. 
Time is running out for cheap ships, the exploration bonanza and for faster engineering. Commanders are reminded that time is fast running out to take advantage of several special offers. Commanders who are active this week learn bonus arcs for cosmetic items. The Exploration Bonanza, which is paying out three times the normal rate for exploration data at Betancourt Base in the Muscadark region PJ-P, B6-1 system, ends early on Thursday the 24th of December. And both Core Dynamics and Lacon Spaceways are holding sales of the more interesting ships in their range, with 20% off the Federal Gunship, Dropship and Assault Ship, and 30% off the Eagle Mark II, the Vulture and the Type 6 Transporter, the Type 10 Defender, the Keelback, the Diamondback Scout, and of course, the trusty and much-loved Asp Scout. The cheapest ship in the galaxy is currently the Eagle Mark II at Daedalus Starport in the Sol system, where there is always at least 20% off the price of an Eagle, at less than 24,500 credits. Engineering upgrades will also be easier to apply between now and the 7th of January, allowing fully engineered modules to be crafted more efficiently. Note that this does not mean that the finished modules will be any better than normal, just that it will be much easier to get one. The Pilots' Federation no doubt wishes all its members a very happy Christmas and hopes to get them walking about on planets in the new year. The Gift of Limpet Life We've all seen it. Maybe we've even done it ourselves. A commander loads up his hold with limpets and heads out on a mining trip. A few hours later, he's back with a hold full of painite. But where have all the limpets gone? The sad truth is, commanders use and then discard millions of limpets every year. The galaxy is full of the husks of expired limpets, floating forlornly, unwanted and unloved. But many of the limpets are perfectly serviceable when they're abandoned. Perhaps the mining trip was more successful than expected and the commander simply dumped hundreds of limpets and flew away, leaving them to starve. Or perhaps a little pack of collector limpets have been faithfully fetching and retrieving mined fragments into the commander's hold. When the asteroid is depleted, the commander is too impatient to let the limpets keep up and simply boosts away, leaving the limpets by the wayside. Perhaps it's a prospector limpet. No one ever tells them what a good job they've done, finding rare minerals. Perhaps it's the fuel rats. Many people think of them as a benevolent organisation, rescuing nearly 100,000 commanders since they were set up. The reality is much more ambiguous. Every fuel rat rescue results in the abandonment of at least one, sometimes many, fuel transfer limpets. The commander and his ship are rescued, but who ever thinks about what happens to the limpets? Limpets are being abandoned all around the galaxy, at a higher rate than ever before. But you can do something about it. Only 10 credits a month can pay for a limpet to live on in retirement. 20 credits can pay for a limpet to be reconditioned for reuse by commanders who will look after their limpets properly. 50 credits can pay for the collection and restocking of 100 unused limpets that were discarded by their owners. Give the gift of limpet life this Christmas. The Face of Tharg the Mighty 
It is believed to have been nearly 500 years since humans and Thargoids first encountered each other, although the early encounters were documented only as unexplained ship disappearances in and around the Pleiades Nebula. It is just over 200 years since Commander Peter Jameson encountered Thargoids following several misjumps, although these encounters were never officially recognised. Just a few years after that, the events of the Adamaster and the recently discovered geological base in the Colsac Nebula took place. Once again, these were hushed up until the return of the Adamaster on autopilot to the Chukchan system earlier this year. Since then, and with two wars and an attempted genocide of the Thargoid using a virus along the way, the existence of Thargoids has become widely accepted, despite attempts by some authorities to suppress knowledge about them. Way back in the 32nd century, it was well known that Thargoid babies, the so-called Tharglets, live as parasites inside the bodies of other species, manipulating them from inside and gradually eating away their flesh. This is why it was especially disturbing to learn that Thargoids collect escape pods. It seems almost inevitable that humans kept alive inside these pods are used as nurseries by the evil insectoids and must suffer an excruciating death as their vital organs are consumed by the growing Thargoids. Galnet News Digest has seen evidence using the tracker devices built into escape pods that although the vast majority of escape pods are eventually turned in to galactic search and rescue, many others are gobbled up by Thargoid ships in the Pleiades, the Witchhead Nebula and latterly in the Colsac Nebula. There is another place where thousands of escape pods mysteriously disappear. This place, which is where we believe the Thargoid nursery is located, is well concealed and it would have been impossible to find it were it not for the continuous flow of escape pods disappearing into it every day. And it's not where you'd expect. It's deep in the heart of the galaxy, not far from the galactic core, and dangerously close to human occupation. The Thargoid nursery is hidden in caves in the Lost System, in planet A2b, under a seemingly innocent planetary port called Kraken's Retreat. Someone who works there with a concocted backstory about having worked for a company of S.H.I.E.L.D. specialists has been quietly soliciting off-the-books donations of escape pods for years. We now believe that this person is in fact the leader of the Thargoids, looking after the broods of new Tharglets and feeding them on human flesh. Tonight, we can reveal the face of Tharg the Mighty. If you ever see this man, run away fast. Run as if your life depended on it. It does. And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News. We read the news so you don't have to. Thank you guys.